Hello and welcome to Learning, Laughing, and Loving with your co-host Evan Money and yours truly, Scott Jones. This podcast is all you need. If you're looking to learn about the world, do it with a smile and to connect to the deeper mysteries of human life and the kind of connection everyone is looking to make. Evan Money, welcome back. Scott Ken Jones, I'm excited. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm here in sunny Florida. You are there in California, and we're recording this on Memorial Day. People might not listen to it until a week or so later, as we release the podcast this week. But uh, so we'll have a few episodes in the backlog, as they say. But um, I just want to say thank you for to all the people that were brave enough to give their lives in a, in something bigger than themselves, even if they didn't understand. I often think about. Soldiers who are incredibly courageous who don't know what they're going into or don't know if they agree with it or don't know if they uh, understand or can get their mind around what we're doing in some places of the world. And yet they're contributing to our capacity to live um, in, in faith with our families and freedom and, and fellowship. And so that, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful and, and somber thing. Oh, wow. That that's oh, incredible way to put it because yeah, there's so much of I don't think very few people will understand you know what's really going on right and you have the different aspects of oh yeah you know the you know the positive negative but um, you you worded that so eloquently of wow I'm just I'm I'm in shock and awe Scott Kent Jones tremendous I I hearken back again to my football roots here and. You know, the NFL is a big champion of, um, you know, Memorial Day and salute to service and all of that. And what's interesting is a, a term in, in, in pro football is we're going to go to war, man. All right. These are my brothers. We're going to war together. And, you know, they realize real quick that like, hey, there's a big difference between running around on the football field and hitting people than real war, you know. And so that term, you know, I'd go to war with that person. It's like, well, the people in the service really are going to war in their different aspects. And it's like, wow. And we'll just jump right super deep off air. Uh, Scott and I were talking about kind of this COVID-19 loneliness, and we're going to take a deep dive into that as we're going to learn, love, and laugh through it. But you want to talk about loneliness and being, you know, shipwrecked on a, you know, in this foreign land, right? Where, just like, hey, what am I doing in this middle of this desert in this little town? And am I really helping people only to step on a line man, line a uh, landmine and get your leg blown off and then come home? And it's like, well, what do I do now? Um, so yeah, the salute to service, you know, man, I incredible, incredible, not to be taken lightly. And I saw Scott Ken Jones, I'm trying to remember her name. She is now this champion for you know, her whole Latino culture here in Los Angeles. And if I, I told you her name, you'd probably remember. She's got a show on Prager University. But you look at her and she looks like some Latino supermodel. And you're just like, oh, yeah, life's hard for you. And she's well-spoken. And it's just like, man, she's got it all together. Come to find out, she served four years in the U.S. military. And she says, you know, that year, of mil- and you see her like in her, you know, in her greens and her blues with the helmet on and she's not the glam queen. And it's like, wow. And she talks about how that service really shaped her and gave her so much appreciation. And, you know, you would no way look at a picture of her and say, oh yeah, that, that girl served the military. She went to Iraq. And so there's so many benefits and so many blessings that we can't even begin to appreciate from the military. So I could go on and on, but well said, Scott Kent Jones. So can I read you something real fast? Um, Absolutely. This is from uh, one of my favorite authors, Melissa Phoebos, who I've had I've interviewed a few times. Uh, she is she wrote two memoirs called uh, I think the first one was called Whip Smart, and the fr- mm. and the second was called um, Abandon Me. And she was a dominatrix and a heroin addict. Got out of both scenes and did her master's degree in English literature at the New School. Uh, in New York. And it's just an incredibly impressive person who's super integrated, went through like deep recovery stuff. And um, there's a part from her second memoir, Abandoned Me, where she talks about all the abandonment issues she went through. And she, her, her parents, she went, her parents went through a divorce and she's taught, she talks about the experience of going to church with her father and his new wife. And the pastor was preaching on Jonah. And this is, I'm just trying to frame our loneliness conversation. And this is what she says. She reflects on that experience. She said, Jonah, whose name means dove, 
is not brave. He simply exhausts all his other choices. The only thing left to choose is God's will. And Mm. even then, after proclaiming his prophecy, Jonah shakes his fist at the Lord. His destiny does not give him peace. It enrages him. Mm. It's not what he wants. He begs God to kill him. But God doesn't kill Jonah. God's mercy often doesn't come in the form of erasure. And the story of Jonah seems a parable of what I have often suspected, that life is a great choose-your-own-adventure story. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Every choice leads the hero to the same princes, the same cliff. There are alternative routes, but there is only one ending if you make it there. Every love is a sea monster in whose belly we learn to pray. Mm. Mm. That is an interesting take, for sure. So I love the things that we've discussed in previous shows and just this, the concept of, oh yeah, you have to hear both sides of the story. And there's, it's not both sides, it's all sides. So looking at her side of her journey um, and what the Jonah journey means and comparing our coast to coast isolations of Southern California to the Florida, you know, you're Tallahassee, where are you? Tallahassee, yeah, it it is state capital and it's... um yeah, I mean, it's people are still pretty cautious and people are not out. I mean, I've gone to supermarkets. I've gone to a restaurant once, uh, once or twice, um, just to see what it was like. And it was... Did you actually get to sit was, down? Did you get to sit down and go inside? Yeah, you, yeah, but it, it is really safe. I mean, it's socially distanced. I mean, you're not near anyone. Everyone's masked mm. and you're not near anyone. And the CDC actually said, that it's interesting if you go and do the research, right? Knowledge is power. Um, the CDC has put on their website that there's no example of, and these are people that research this thing ad nauseum, right? There's no example of any of the disease transferred through food or food packaging. So, like, mm. so it probably is, again, we should still be uber cautious because we don't know enough about the disease, but like, it, but it, 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 it does seem to point in the direction of you probably can um, go to a restaurant if, if everybody's like, spaced out so like this was so nobody i was not close to anybody i was not i was 10 feet away from well first off there weren't that many patrons in the place when (laughs) i went there um but i was not closer than 10 feet to anybody Uh, but the thing that i wonder about is like and this is just it's so complicated right but like if if you open up at like a 40 percent capacity that's the profit margin for most restaurants, right? Like, oh, the profit margin is it's, it's thinner than that. And yeah, we we can dive down the economic side, but I, I'm going to talk more practical with you. So, how do you eat with your mask on? I mean, how does that work exactly? So, the waitresses well, have, have masks. Everybody have masks. So, how, fill me in on that because we still you have still to, don't get to go to a restaurant yet in in LA. You have to pull your mask down and eat, but like generally, what happens is you kind of. You're, you're eating by yourself or you're eating with your, you know, like I was by myself, but if you have a partner or, you know, a spouse, like, you know, like a business partner or something, or it's a bit, you know, like assuming you know that you're both being n- not exposed, you kind of, I, 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 yeah, again, this is challenging, right? Cause the mask thing is, is an incredibly challenging thing, right? Like this is, you know, I don't know. I mean, you, you basically just pull your mask down and eat, but like I was eating by myself. So like, but there were people there that were eating with other people. And I assumed that they were probably all family members again, but there were not many people. I mean, we're talking a handful of patrons. I mean, it was not, it was not, it was not, um, a, 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 a big group of people. I mean, it was pretty sparse. Mm. So was it, it, it so were, were the conversations just kind of huddled and whispered or was it like a normal, was it a Twilight Zone kind of thing? I mean, it, was to- it was total Twilight Zone. It was, <laughs> in the sense of you, you there, were no, there was no, it was a massive venue that probably could seat at its peak time, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of people at mm. once. And that was not what was going on. It was, it was, you know, I brought my laptop and sat there um, for a little while. And there were, you know, like a half a dozen tops, like uh, patrons. I mean, and it was, it was, I mean, there were more staff people than patrons. And this is where I don't know how, how this like works. I mean, the, the, I just think this is kind of a weird, uh, I, I like, I, I felt a lot for the, um, for the owners of the, of, of the establishment, because I'm thinking, and it's a it's 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 semi it's a semi corporate kind of it's a corporate chain. They have several. They have probably ten 
spots across the country. Uh, but I just thought, man, this is an an impossible way to do business. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. Yeah, like because not only like the restrictions, which again. Who knows? The virus is crazy, and and who knows? Like again, I don't think the restrictions are insane. I also think we're going to have to live with this virus because we are not going to get a vaccine anytime in the near future, right? But but the thing is, like that, I thought, like it's not only is the government in an impossible situation trying to figure this out, the business owner is in an impossible situation trying to figure this out, right? Because the the pressure and anxiety on them is is you know, so tremendous and intense because like you've got more staff than patrons in the place. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there's a whole, my, actually it's interesting. My, my brother who's at a interesting crossroads. So to parallel kind of your, uh, we compare the loneliness journeys here and what it's like in COVID-19 and also with, with life and where we are. So my brother's older than me. So he's past the 50 mark. He is a waiter. Uh, does not, never got married, uh, does not, you know, own property or anything like that. And he's just wondering, like, what the heck do I do with my life? And now he's in this spot where he, uh, he's just like, hey, you know, I'm getting just, I'm getting paid just as much now to not go to work. And I'd rather not go to work, but he understands the economies of restaurants. I mean, someone who's professionally weighted tables for two decades plus, um, he knows how to get along. Now he's in he's in some of the, the fancy high-end restaurants here in Los Angeles and has, you know, A-list people that he waits on. And um, he's got high-end tippers, you know. He gets, you know, one one patron will tip him 300 every time. And I'm just thinking about that. Like, okay, if you're going out to eat six nights a week and you're tipping your guy 300 bucks every time, I mean, you're you know, that's 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 pretty good. <laughs> pretty good disposable income. Um, but he's looking at the restaurant and he's like, yeah, there's no way this restaurant can survive at 25% capacity or what these new laws are going to be in California. They're talking about, okay, you got to take out so many tables and you have to have this distancing. And, um, you know, it's basically just like, hey, every, every restaurant's going to have to just add a zero to the menu, right? To make it sustainable in this. But um, it's really fascinating, especially again from a restaurant standpoint, because the, the margins are so razor thin. And yeah, I think we're all in this like waiting for something to like for me, I'm waiting for everybody to wake up and be like, oh, that was such a bad dream. All right, let's get back to normal. And you know, you mentioned the vaccine word. Uh, you know, so Scott, I, I hate to break it to you, but the the vaccine for influenza, which has been here for over a hundred years, is still only sixty percent effective at best. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And, so, and so, what and makes most, us think a, a COVID nineteen vaccine is going to change anything? So we, we there's got to be this again. I keep waiting for the awakening of like, okay, we you know, okay, again, just this bad dream. Like, hey, let's let's get back to it. And it's like, hey, if you know, it's kind of this at your own risk. Like, hey. You're welcome to come to church and we can talk about that, how that's going to look as far as the, the loneliness side. I want to dive into that. But restaurants, churches, this whole concept of if, if we're going to keep up this COVID-19 thing, how is it all going to translate? And how do we, this is a big question, Scott, how do we reconnect as human beings? Because let's look at a concert aspect, right? You don't go to a concert to hear great you know, great audio music. You go for the human connection of, hey, all these people are here because they're just like me. We want to hear this music. Um, so let's talk about how do, how do we reconnect as humans now? What, what do you foresee and, and how does this, uh, this loneliness work? Because I want to share some of the stuff after I hear from you, kind of what our church is doing in the video world, like to connect with people. Um, but, but give me some of your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, two thoughts. So I heard an NPR story like a couple of days ago where this is just kind of, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, but it was about a nursing home owner. It was a private nursing home. And what this guy did, he was so on the front end of the curve. He dipped into his personal savings. I mean, like he's a successful entrepreneur and, and, and a guy that, you know, is making a profit margin, but he did have, I mean, this cost him to some degree, but like he basically just got RVs for all the nurses and stuff. Mm. And kept them there so that they were quarantined. Mm. And he's paying them more money. Restaurants are bringing them food. They've had no deaths in the nursing home. Wow. Zero. Zero. So basically, he just kind of proactively figured out who was the most vulnerable, mm -hmm. who's working with the most vulnerable. He upped the salaries of the people that were serving them. 
Mm-hmm. And he and he controlled the virus. So, I mean, there's a, there, I mean, there's a thing where, like, and again, it's it's on a micro level, mm-hmm. but like, it does have macro implications. I think in the sense of this guy like solved a problem really quickly. He did this in early March. Mm. No deaths in a nursing home, uh, w- which is just amazing. Um, so, I think, I mean, I think there's that aspect. I think the video thing. I've been in a part of like a couple Zoom kind of community oriented things. Mm-hmm. And I I think that like what's going to happen in the future is as people, as we figure out how to assess personal risk, I think what's going to happen is, or hopefully what will happen is we'll figure out who is more at risk uh, in the, in the new normal for, you know, the foreseeable future as we're wrestling through this. And, but we're learning about like zoom and things like this. And I've been a part of some several amazing zoom, like community things uh, that were religious and non-religious and found it incredibly encouraging as encouraging as anything pre-COVID-19. Like, hmm. and, and so I think like what's going to happen is we're going to have like institutions that can't adapt and just die, right? Like churches, schools and stuff like that. There'll be new institutions that, that come up, right? Like, but then also there, there'll be institutions and communities that evolve and, and think like, oh, okay, like, so we can use, we've learned the power of the Zoom community or the this online thing or that online thing. And so as we stagger back into the reopening, we can use the online stuff to protect the vulnerable. So those mm. folks, like mm. they've they've got to be protected and 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 but we don't want to like lose them or isolate them. And so we we marshal the resources we've learned. I mean, the church basically crashed Zoom like last Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like Zoom was like, oh my gosh, we had to put more bandwidth into our thing because like the church basically crashed it. So I think what we're learning is the power of the online community experience to to connect people. And I think we don't need to lose that as we stagger back into people feeling safer to come back and reconnect into churches and synagogues and restaurants and things like that. Like people can I think we can creatively use online stuff so that the vulnerable populations, not just seniors, but people that have, you know, complex medical conditions that make them vulnerable, like we can bring them into the reopening through online stuff, like bringing them into what we all, what we are all experiencing is, Oh my gosh, we have all these, you know, Matthew McConaughey is doing zoom bingo with seniors. <laughs> like, that. like, like, I think, I think that this is not either or it's a both end, right? Yes. Like, yes, yes. And that we, sure. yeah, that we can connect people in meaningful ways and in, in ways that like allow us to, to to figure out a, a safe way to get back to normal life or or or, or at least new normal life and, and at the same time we're not disconnecting or marginalizing people that like we're figuring out how they can safely reconnect with us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah because I think it, it for me in a common sense world it's gonna have to be a, an at your own risk so hey, Come on over to church. You know, it's at your own risk. And if you feel, you know, and they may have like, you know, the overflow room, right? In the in the faith-based world, it's known as the overflow, right? Like, oh, I didn't make it to the, the big sanctuary, so I got to go overflow. So maybe overflow is where, hey, you're six feet apart. You got a mask on. It's like, if, if you want that experience, you can go there. So you can go to the quarantine room or, or you can stay home and, and Zoom in a creative ways like, you know, I, I look at what our church has done from the beginning of like really bad, you know, production value of like, okay, we're trying to figure this out to now talking about this loneliness thing that I really want to dive into in, into with you, Scott, is, you know, at the end of the service, the greeter team came on and they're like, hey, what a great service. Oh, that was so cool. You know, hey, we want to meet you. And this is like, this wasn't through Zoom, it was through a, a different like, uh, I don't know who's uh, who's got the back end to it, but it's like a different live stream service. But they're like, hey, we want to meet you. So here, we're going to open the chat. And if you're brand new with us, and it's kind of like that same greeter mindset of like, hey, we, we want to connect with you online. And they're just sitting there in their living room in their t- little church t-shirts going, yeah, we want to connect with you. Here's the chat box. And I was like, oh, that's kind of creative. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. So the, the production value is definitely increasing. The connection value is increasing, but I think we're going to have these great, um, you know, you look at the, the classic, right? As soon as China kicked out all the missionaries, Christianity flourished in China. Yep. Uh, and so I think we might get to this point where we're going to, and they're happening right now. I, I can already know for a fact, but 
I think it, the underground church movement is growing of people that want to gather more than six, closer than six feet, and want to have an in-person worship experience. And I think that's going to draw people even closer and closer. And I think these underground movements are going to spread. And I don't know, you know, I'm looking online, you know, Trump's like demanding, you know, for places of worship to open up and, you know, oh, how are we going to do it? And, you know, is singing a good idea because you're going to open your mouth and then you could, you know, omit something. Are we going to sing with masks? All this stuff. But I think there's there's this new underground church movement and I'm I'm part of it in a different way. So like whenever we go to our chiropractor, I, I give my chiropractor a hug and he almost broke down and cried. He's like, I haven't been hugged in, in other than my wife in like two months. And um, so we're kind of on this non-fear front, but um, it's really, really unique. But give me, uh, let, let's, let's go super deep and let's talk about you, Scott. So for me on my side, as far as the loneliness factor, we're so... We've been living this homeschool, home office lifestyle for the last 15 years. So nothing has really changed for us except that we don't get to go to Disneyland, you know, because we're annual pass holders or, you know, the beach is reopened, which is cool. We got to go to the beach last weekend. My son and I had our Rocky Three moment as we were sprinting together on the beach. It was so glorious. Um, but our lifestyle really hasn't changed at all. And for an introverted extrovert like me, it's like, you know what, this is, you know, it's, it's cool. I'm, I'm like, fine. I'm like, cool. You know, people aren't coming over my house. Great. You know, I'm not, you know, I like when people come over, certain people come over, but other people, I'm not using the most social. So, um, so for me, it's just like, Hey, this works well. Now I know for someone like you, who's just recently moved, you got some family transition. This is like, the worst possible time, kind of like a double whammy, right? It's it's almost like Jonah going in the in the whale, and then the whale, you know, diving down, and now it's like, I yeah, guess, yeah, I, I, I yeah, can yeah water and be in the whale at the same time. What's going on? So let let that, let the listeners in a little bit, Scott, because I think that's yeah. where the real healing comes from. Is the more transparent we are, yeah, it it, it is, and I think it, it's a hard thing, and I think I've I, I've noticed that uh, when I am feeling isolated or tempted to kind of wallow in the depression or self-medicate or something like that. Like it, that like is not helpful. I think what's, what's become helpful is, you know, um, inviting people into the pain, right? Like inviting people, not in a codependent, like needy, awful, like, ah, clean weight, but like, in a way, just like my friends have been like incredibly understanding and compassionate and, and, and they're also feeling lonely <laughs> and, and want to just talk about life. And, that, and that's been incredibly helpful. And I think it's interesting what you're saying too, like about what's going on in your church. Like I found, I have a friend who um, was making his livelihood as a public speaker, basically. And he also, he's one of the smartest guys I know. He runs this, um, he's a political scientist from London and he started this movement called Basecamp, where he gets interdisciplinary people, business people, medicine, people that are medicine, artists, activists, people that are in nonprofit stuff. And, and his whole idea is um, we're in a new world and we need new maps. And the idea of Basecamp mm. is we sit around a fire and try to figure out how to summit the new, the new um, how, like how do we climb the mountain kind of thing together. Yes. And, and so basically, like his income dried up, right? And so he was thinking about, well, what do we do? How do I preserve my network and stuff like that? And uh, and it wasn't just mercenary. I mean, it was a real like thing of like, hey, I have all these people I can't see anymore. And how do we sustain the community if we can't get together or I can't go to them and these kind of things. And he had his first online, he convened an online base camp um, and actually asked me to do like the opening ground, they called it a grounding exercise, which he's like, well, you're a minister, you know how to kind of do these things. And like, and we had, it was like, there were 50 people there from all over the world talking about, and he had, you know, we did some interesting, like, you know, with zoom, you can do like um, icebreakers and things. You break off into groups and okay, come back together. Okay. And he had these things, he had these two questions when we got into the intense part, like, what are we missing? And what me, what new meanings do we need to make in this time? And I, mm. like, I, and it was amazing. And it was kind of thing where, like, there would have been no pressure to do this outside of COVID 19, right? Mm, and so, like, yes, yes. And, and so, part of me thinks, like, the loneliness thing is incredibly hard. And, and it's, it's, it, especially if you're living, you know, if you're, if you're, not partnered with, you know, you're not married, you don't have a significant other, you don't have, a, a, 
It's funny. A guy I had the podcast last week. He's in New York. Uh, his name's Bob Holmes. He's he's one of the celebrated poets of New York City. But he was talking about how he and his girlfriend, like he's like seventy two. They walk six feet. Of, they, they go on walking dates, but they walk seven feet apart because they don't live together. What? And she doesn't want to expose him. You know, like or he her. And these things were like you have these weird inter like you know like. Um, these weird moments of disconnection in places like New York and things. But then there also are these new possibilities for connection, I think. And and I think as we settle into, like what you're saying, I think it's going to be the risk assessment. Like, you know, like, like you're, we're all going to have to have some kind of social compact together. Like, okay, we're all going to help each other manage the risks and you're going to have to be responsible and figured out and and will come up but, but I think what's going to happen hopefully is that it, through things through these online resources like with your greeters or this base camp kind of kind of activity I had that was so moving it, we're going to find actually there are new ways for connection that come from you know it, again it's the phoenix from the ashes kind of mm-hmm. thing right like it, it, I think that like these are where uh, we actually will probably emerge from this with incredible new possibilities for human connection and for entrepreneurial activity and for churches to figure out ways to reach people they're not reaching. And I mean, I've become part of this like adult Sunday school class in Phoenix, Arizona, because a friend of mine reached out to me and said, do you want to be part of our adult Sunday school class? Because I think you'd like it. And I've loved it. Like, it's been amazing. I would have never done that. Mm. Right. Like, why would I have done that before? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and so I think that like, there's probably amidst all the peril of the loneliness and struggle, there's also promise and opportunity. Right. Indeed. But let's, let me go down the loneliness side. How much for you personally? um, Because the more I've been diving into the subject, the more I find it comes up in every other thing. Um, this whole self-love factor really seems to be at the core of everything. Um, and so, from a, from a loneliness aspect, I had a, uh, a friend of mine, he did one of those 10-day retreats in New Zealand where you don't talk, you don't speak to anyone, you don't, anyone that's there, you don't look, you're not allowed to look at each other. You're just like either looking at the ground or looking at the sky. And it's 10 days where you do not speak. And a lot of your time is sitting in meditation and all this stuff. And he kind of walked me through this, this journey. And he's like, man, you, you, you're, there's no escape. You can't self-medicate. You can only daydream for so long. You got to come face to face with your self-love. It's the only way to kind of get through it. Um, and he said it was so spectacular and so fascinating. And so if you talk about isolation and loneliness, to me, it doesn't get worse than... <laughs> Okay, there's even people here, but I can't talk to them. I can't even talk to myself, right? You know, and just this journey that he went through. So for you, Scott Kent Jones, on the self-love journey, where are you in in that aspect? Are you in the process of, you know, learning to love yourself again? Are you romancing the process? Are you still like, hey, I hope to one day get there? But walk me through kind of the the parallels of self-love and loneliness. Yeah, it's interesting. A, a friend of mine, I uh, were talking, he's a lawyer from Alabama, great guy. Uh, it sounds like I'm telling a joke. A, a lawyer from Alabama walks into a bar, but. And COVID 19. And COVID 19. Exactly. But he's a great guy. And he was saying, like, that he thinks, we were talking on the phone today, and he was saying he thinks Luther's most brilliant insight, Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, is the simo justus epicata, right? It's Latin, but it's simo, simultaneous. Uh, you know, at Picado, at the same time. So basically, it's at the same time we're all justified in sinners or sinners and saints. And so I think that that he was saying that this is, and my, my friend was telling me this is the journey of the human condition because we're finite and fragile and faltering, and, and you know, our fragility and our fallenness it doesn't preclude uh, a a, po- a possibility of real transcendence and and connecting to deep spiritual and personal truths, but also the, the the dark side is always with us. And he's like, look, like don't. He was kind of encouraging me, like don't like don't demonize yourself for the feelings of the loneliness and the struggle. He's like, this is normal in our whole life. We all have that. So I think that the biggest way to deal with, I think the or at least for me right now, it's like I find like when I when I 
look down the loneliness and the struggles and the and guilt and shame and all the things like you know we catalog in ourselves when i look at it and and try to like uh either repress it or moralize it or something e- either extreme like it kind of it, it 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 leads to sort of awful anxiety producing depressive uh, awful impulses when i when i try to bring it into the light of divine love and say look this is part of uh you know like the this is part of like the divine journey with me like like you know that god is not just in the highs but in the lows mm. right and 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 seeing the lows as places where uh where real insight and acceptance come that's when i i it, it's not easy <laughs> but it's not but it also doesn't create these like um reactions which are like i mean like, like when i try to repress or something i mean sometimes i actually get physically nauseous when i do mm-hmm. that like when i try it's not like you know so i think when i sort of open it up to uh the space for grace it, it's not mm. it's not easy but it's not debilitating mm. uh, it, it's hard right like it's it's and i i have my dog here with me he's a pit bull and i find he when i like open myself up to those places he often can sense it and he'll just put mm. his head on my chest mm. <laughs> he's like a witness to uh divine you know presence so, oh yeah that, yeah i think that oh, they, are, yeah animals animals know for sure there's a you know whether you want to go scientific right like dogs and bees can smell fear i mean they they can smell the pheromones that you're putting off when you're scared um humans can do it too right scott like we've all been in that where ah, there's something about that guy you know i just don't know about you know i don't know it's like you know they're they're exuding you know out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks right so when you actually crack open that space for grace your whole physiology changes you're now admitting a different smell a different something and then your dog's just like oh okay cool he gets it now let me go <laughs> let me go comfort this guy let me go talk to him a little bit um now i'm with you but that that that's something we could spend weeks on is like why this battle right like it's interesting about why it's so hard to open that door of grace that you talked about opening the space for grace like wouldn't we want to just have grace everywhere right like more grace the better you know uh, more money more grace right instead of what most people think of right like wouldn't why wouldn't grace be this this natural and it goes back to what bob goff taught me of you know if joy is the habit okay then love is the natural reaction versus a lot of time our natural reaction when we get cut off on the freeway is something other than love, right? And, you know, just why is it, right, that it's it becomes so challenging to open that space for grace? And I also love what you shared about, again, more about this human condition is, you know, why can't God be in the highs and the lows, right? And the, the classic human condition, right? When we're successful, right, everybody wants to party. And when things go bad, you know, when you're unsuccessful, that's when you ponder, right? <laughs> it's like, so for me, on, on the proactive, intentional side, it's like the more successful and the more better things are going, that's when I want to ponder more and be more appreciative and, you know, do the pondering then and, you know, living a, a lifestyle of joy and, you know, partying in the, the concept of, hey, I want to, you know, I want to take drugs or I want to take alcohol. Or I want to do this. Now I'm, I'm talking partying in this, in the state of joy can be all the time, but I, I love to ponder in the highest highs be so I can avoid, you know, getting to those low points where, you know, you, you've heard the thing, you know, God's still small voice. He whispers to us in our success. And then he, you know, the, the, he, the volume turns up in our failures and bad decisions and all that stuff. So I always like to listen louder no matter where I'm at. But yeah, you, you brought in some some great, great things. But yeah, just tell me why, again, for you, that that creating that space for grace seems to be this is something that we make hard and we make it harder than it needs to be. You know, life is hard because we make it hard. So why why do you think that is, Scott Kent Jones? Yeah, I think we all want to be authors of our own stories in ways that like w- we want more control than is ever humanly possible. Mm. And I think that we 
I mean, you've told me this before, right? That most of your entrepreneurial successes, of which you have many, have been when you were kind of just open to receiving, right? And well, yeah, they're be- all other people's ideas for sure. <laughs> yeah, and you and you were not like kind of anxiously trying to force square pegs into round holes, right? Correct. Right. Yep. And I, I think that that so much of the human condition is. I mean, I think on the other side of grace, you feel accepted and in a healing and a transformation. That's it's incredibly powerful. But like the problem is like it requires. Um, seeding control of your own story. Like I was, I've said this in lots of sermons, like it's, you know, how do you receive compliments? Which is interesting. Cause like when somebody says something really kind to you about something, it's really authentic, right? Do you say thank you or do you play it off? Mm. Right? Like, it, 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 because, and then I would usually go in and think, well, at, when somebody says they're sorry to you, do you say it's okay? Or do you, or, you know, or do you say I forgive you? Or do you like, you know, because in these complex human interactions, what happens is you lose control of your own story. Mm. And so basically to take a compliment or to receive forgiveness, right? The, the, these things require seeding of your own story. Like to, to live like a story of self-adulation or self-condemnation takes no one else. Right, like no one else at all. You can do, you can be, oh my gosh, woe was me, woe was me, woe was me, or you can do a kind of false pride. I'm the best. I'm the mm-hmm. best. Mm-hmm. All by yourself. Yep. What you can't do all by yourself is live forgiven and live open to grace, because that requires you kind of opening your story mm-hmm. to 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 God's presence and also to the presence of of people that that kind of magnify and mirror that story to you. Mm. And so I think that that's the challenge. Like, I think that the tendency to reject it is all about self-control. And for me, I mean, I know that's probably like, I've preached this to a zillion people and in a life transition right now, I'm trying to figure that out. In the, in the sense of, <laughs> it's it, it's uh, like, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to let go. Physician, heal yourself. Come on, man. Exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to let, I'm trying to let go of the reins to my own, like control story. Uh, mm, mm. Now I love what, what Bob Goff taught me was, you know, he says it the best. He says, you know, as, as you describe, we want to be authors of our own stories. Right. And when we're authors of our own stories, we're either one or the other. Like you said, we're either the hero or the victim, right? We're either one or the other. We're the hero coming in, dun, 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 or the woe is me victim. I can't believe this happened. And if we're either the hero of the victim of all our stories, then there's no room for Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Because we're hogging it all up, right? Of this whole control thing. So, oh, and that was like a spear to the heart for me of just like, oh my gosh. And so I've I've been on this journey, this personal journey of how do I, you know, what exactly is a healthy ego, right? Like, how do you actually live in the space of God's grace where you can accept a compliment, but realize, you know, it's not me, right? And vice versa, right? Where it's just like, oh, no, no, it's all God. Don't even bother, right? Like, just brush it off or fully accept it, you know, and pump your ego up even more. And just, for me, it's really come to this spot where I used to say, you know, like, okay, God, magnify me so then I can, you know, you know, proclaim you and tell others how great you are and do the classic NFL point after I score a touchdown in the end zone and, you know, but the 90,000 fans are cheering for me, right? But I'm pointing at you, see? So it works out, right? That that was my original toxic um, journey. And what I've cleansed myself to is just like, you know what, God? Let me join you and you work through me to glor- to really glorify you and to magnify you. And th- got getting to that point where that's enough. And I've realized that whenever I've had those experiences, like you've had, Scott, where, where it's not about you and you're actually helping people, ministering people whenever different ways, right? Um, and you're just like, wow, God, that was so awesome, right? And that was good enough versus the artificial highs, like, oh, I get to go on this big stage or I get to go speak at, to so-and-so's church and all these people are going to be here and they're going to sign, you know, I'm going to do book signings after and da-da-da. And then it... It happens and it's just like, oh, that wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Or, oh, you know, I, th- I thought I'd feel different after that. And so my my journey for me is that cleansing of the, the hero. And, you know, I got over the victim part, but kind of cleansing the hero to say, you know what? What if God was the real hero? 
And I, you know, he's just inviting me to be a part of this story. And if I just go along with the story, I'm going to get everything I wanted and more versus the square peg of the round hole of make me the hero, make me the hero. So that, that's a, a fully transparent uh, story of my journey currently. Yeah, there's a great um, quote. It's funny. I shared this at this base camp meeting I was telling you about because uh, yes. I, I did this open opening kind of, they called it a grounding exercise. So it's, um, it's they asked me to share a reading to get everybody grounded. And um, this is from Frank Lake, who is a Christian psychiatrist of blessed memory, died in 1983. Um, he, was one of the, he is a true genius and a virologist of the human condition. Ooh. He says, while we regard our humanity as a container which ought to have something good in it, when we look inside, we miss the point of the whole paradox. We are not meant to be self-contained, but channels of the life and energies of God himself. From this point of view, our wisdom is to let the bottom be knocked out of our humanity, which will ruin it as a container at the same time it, as it turns it into a satisfactory channel. Mm, I think this yeah. is think like, like where, when we want to have like be our own contained self-contained source of the good, mm-hmm. the true, the beautiful. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, the, the cupboard is bare and it's an empty kind of thing. But like, I think he's right there. Like when we accept our finitude and fragility and our struggles mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's actually where we're lifted into new spaces and places mm-hmm. uh, and, and not lifted by our own bootstraps, but really lifted in a way that uh, is, you know, non where it doesn't produce the kind of anxiety and struggle. Oh, we've got to control this. What happens if I mm-hmm. lose this? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's, oh, yeah. that's, the thing. that's the thing, right? Like when we have anxiety about like, Oh my gosh, am I going to lose control of this mm-hmm. thing? Am I going to, mm-hmm. am I going to, am I going to like, you know, what's going to happen if this, if it, I built the sandcastle now the waves going to yeah. come in and knock yeah. it over. Yeah. But here's what's so fascinating about that is that it's just a great reminder that the only time we have this anxiety, Scott, and the only time we can have this fear and anxiety is when we're focused on the future. You know, the yeah. future of, oh, well, if this wave comes, right? Is it going to turn on the sandcastle? What if this happens or what, right? It's all about what's in the future. And then, of course, we get shame, we get guilt, we get regret when we're focused on the past. And uh, I want to give the author credit, but it was so blatant, so true. He's like, look, God is the God of the now. He is the God of the right now. And, you know, Eastern, you know, Buddhism, meditation, everything, all of that is all encompassed in that, in that truth of, hey, it's about living in the now. How do you live in the right now? And our God is the God of the now, because you're at the most peace and all of that when you're, you know, this is the day that the Lord has made. I mean, it you, comes back to the Lord's prayer. I mean, it, the, the more Eastern you get, the more it dives right in to what God was talking about. It's like, look, you got enough worries about tomorrow. <laughs> Let's talk about today, right? What are, what are we doing today? What are we focusing on today? How can we, how can we be a channel today versus you know down the line thinking about oh what's going to happen tomorrow? How right? Because you talk about the control mindset, right? How do I control this in the future versus how do I channel this today? And just you know, whenever I get caught up in that stuff. I'm able to draw myself back instantly by just saying, hey, enough with the future stuff. What, what are we working on today? Hey, what's going on today? Oh, gee, it, it's 10 o'clock at night. I'm trying to go to sleep. Well, let's focus on getting a good night's sleep. Let's focus on connecting with my bride. Let's focus on, you know, this rather than, oh, you know, projecting. And it, guys, of course, we're always, for whatever reason, guys are wired. Everything is about the outcome with guys, right? How's this going to turn out? What's going to happen? And if we don't know, then we'll just project it and drive ourselves crazy and then think everything's going to be great once I get to the end of this. And then we get to the end and then it's like, okay, I'm ready for my next mission, right? What's the next thing? You know, it's always this point A, point B nonsense. So um, just getting back to that, that's just a great quote you shared about the the channel. Because when you're a channel, you're not focused on the future. <laughs> you're focused on what, what yeah, can yeah, I channel yeah. right now? <laughs> It's interesting because as, as an entrepreneur, I feel like you do a lot of stuff. And as somebody coaches entrepreneurs and business people and people that are looking for a growth mindset, I feel like a lot of people confuse the growth mindset with the control mindset. Mm. And, and and they're actually antithetical, right? I mean, that that but people think like, you know, okay, I'm going to grow things. I'm going to I'm going to expand things. Like I'm type A. I'm going to go get it. And that sort of tightening of the grip, right, is the opposite. Seems of what you're saying. That's the opposite of the growth mindset, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Man, that's such a great point, Scott. That is, man. 
your vernacular and the way you sh- you know shape your words so incredible. This is kind of the, the the great yin and the yang of Scott Kent Jones and Evan Money here as we learn, laugh, and love. But no, you're absolutely right. It is, and that's that's what everybody thinks it is until they find out. Like, oh, wait a minute, this this isn't what. It, oh, this isn't real growth. You know, the the type A control is stagnant. It's death. It's collapse versus a true growth mindset. Man, you're absolutely right, Scott. So, Evan, what are you working on this week? This week in COVID-19, where you are in Southern California, and you are... You guys, like... So, Gavin Newsom, he still has things under pretty tight lockdown out there, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a... I got a couple different routes I can go. So, the first one is I can lament and complain and talk about how I do not agree with our governor's choices, blah, 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 blah. But then I realize, you know... This this is something I've been shaping for a while. Is that you know, God's commandments are super simple, and they're 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 so simple, and we make it hard so we can justify not obeying. So to all the listeners, it's super simple. You know, as clear as clear can be. Pray for your enemies. You know, pray for those people that you disagree with. And I'm like, okay, when was the last time I felt like you know I wanted to pray for my governor? <laughs> And it was like, oh, good, good, one. good yeah. looking guy. Good looking guy, by the way. Although <laughs> his, his first wife, I'll try to find this and put this in the show notes. Kim Garfoyle, who used to be on Fox News. Now she dates Donald Trump Jr. When he was mayor of San Francisco, they did this photo shoot. And they were laying on this rug in his, their place. And I thought, like, you guys look like you're in a Bacardi ad. <laughs> and if you ever had, you're this good looking. Of a guy, you must want to be president someday because you got the president there. Why would you let them shoot you in a Bacardi ad? Like, <laughs> our listeners, if you Google Gavin do some Kim Garfla like and like uh, San Francisco photo shoot, it'll come up. And you're, and you're just like, at what point? And bad staff work. Like, what? Who lets themselves be? photograph that way and go to magazine <laughs> bad stuff work so again more of the reasons why i i don't want to pray for him uh but at the same time it's like okay i'm called to pray for him called to especially you know the one that is persecuting us and not letting us go outside and you know nonsense gonna open the beach close the beach gonna open the beach close the beach and literally just like okay i'm whatever trump says i'm gonna say the opposite just to spite him right just this kindergarten you know sand throwing toddler nonsense right like oh i don't want the toy until you pick it up and then i'm going to scream for it right so this just nonsensical behavior um but yeah i mean it it really it it is what it is but at the same time i look at you know you you kicked off before we recorded with this term of you kind of felt shipwrecked right and so i'm like okay how bad can it be to be quarantined in southern california <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I live in the most beautiful place in the, on earth. And it's like, you know what? This is pretty amazing. And one of my core businesses is in the home improvement world. And as everybody's sitting at home, from an entrepreneur standpoint, they're going, gee, I need to fix this. I need to fix this. Let's make time to fix this. So business is booming. So that's a plus. That's God's tremendous favor in saying, all right, we'll, we'll take advantage of that. Um, so that's that. But on uh, another side, what's interesting, Scott Kent Jones, from me as my healing and processing toxic ego to, you know, becoming that channel, not the container. So the dream for a public speaker is always kind of the big stage, you know, the bigger stage, the better, you know, I want to impact more people and I want to talk to 500,000 people and, you know, all this stuff. So now my speaking engagements are Zoom or the equivalent, right? Um, And it's so fascinating because it's like, oh, I'm on Zoom and it's just me in my, you know, office and this this rush and this high. We we did this thing um and they're like, "Okay, we're going to go backstage with Evan and Susan Money." And I'm like, "Backstage? I'm I'm in my office on my computer. This isn't backstage. You know what are you talking about? But it's the new reality of backstage." And so it, it is so interesting to me in this the COVID-19 speaking time of trying to connect and share with people where I'm just looking at my little camera on my iMac versus being able to talk to a crowd. Like, I don't know if you've watched, it's so interesting. Uh, I love catching some of Joel's sermons, Joel Osteen, 
uh, shameless plug, who was in my my movie that we did, our documentary, Words of Art. So go grab it on uh, uh, Amazon Prime. That's right, free on Prime. But I listen to Joel's sermon, and normally Joel tells a joke or Joel tells something, and there's people cheering, there's people clapping, and it's like Joel says something, and there's no reaction because he's preaching to this empty auditorium. And I'm like, wow, that's so fascinating. And, and most other pastors are, are preaching to their computer screen, right? So that part of it is really, uh, I'm going to say humbling and super easy to get over yourself because you can't be the cool guy on stage because there's no stage. It's like, nope, it's just you and sitting in your office in front of your screen. And that's the way it is. So that's been an interesting transition for me. I don't know if you've experienced any of that, but that, that that's what I'm working through. Yeah, but I think it's interesting because, like, at, at the same time, that's challenging, and yet there's probably some people you're connecting with that you wouldn't have otherwise connected. Like, oh, that's yeah. what, again, what I'm finding on the Zoom thing. Like, I think this is where again the kind of growth mindset will take over or, or will advance in this kind of age where people will figure out, as we were talking about earlier, in in the risk and how do we collectively manage our risks and figure these things out? Like, the there will be people that are anxious about this stuff and and the zoom kind of stuff will be the places where you know people are connecting and deep and it's funny because a friend of mine who's a jewish journalist he's he's um comes from kind of the modern orthodox jewish movement in the united states all his brothers are rabbis his dad's a rabbi and his sister married a rabbi he's a journalist he's the only one that didn't but he's been doing these live streams and getting huge people could ask ask the cohen brothers and he'll just ask a rabbi a question mm. and these three rabbis are you know going on you know a live stream on facebook and they're getting all these hits and like and 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 it's really interesting like you know and he'll you know he'll call me and ask me for question ideas and stuff and i think it's an interesting thing that they would not have done mm-hmm. But it's a great idea, right? Like, like it, it, it's a great idea if we didn't have COVID, right? Like, ask a rabbi. People are, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, and so I think these are the things where I think it's the interesting opportunity that we're invited to, where you, you know, like, um, there's some guests on the podcast that, like, I've had recently on my Give and Take podcast, my interview podcast, where, you know, people that, like, <laughs> it's funny, David French, who's a prominent, you know, uh, conservative intellectual. He's been on Bill Maher, Meet the Press, Morning Joe. He does all that stuff. A buddy of mine like texted me. He's like, "Look, get French on the podcast." Uh, this is like three weeks ago because he's tweeting about World of Warcraft right now. <laughs> and 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 and, Dave, and French has been on the podcast a few times before this, but like, so he goes, he goes. He goes I texted French. I'm like, hey, Dave, you want to come on the podcast? Just talk about conservatism and Corona. He texted me back immediately. Sure. You want to do it tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that dives me into this this personal journey that we're going to go deep into. So since I met you and came on your show way back when, um, I have been encouraging you to, because you always said, oh, yeah, one of my dream guests is Barbara Walters because Barbara is the... Uh, the quintessential connector as far as connecting with people and humans. So have you have you reached Barbara yet? Have you gotten to her people? I know she's I not have, tweeting I, about World of Warcraft, but tell me you've gotten to Barbara. I have not, but I have ah. I have reached out to her people several times and I, I have left voicemails and I've gotten nothing back. I've gotten these kind of um, her keep assistant is like keep knocking, keep asking. Yeah. Keep now. We've got to get to Barbara. That is the quest. That is one of your mountain peak quests to uh, overcome some of the the again hard to wallow in loneliness when you're knocking on the door and climbing the mountain to get to Barbara Walters. So keep at it, my friend. And also the new guy. I'm hoping to interview this week, and we will see if it works. Um, uh, I just got a, a journalist friend of mine sent me his email. Um, John Dickerson, who hosts. Um, he's a, he's a CBS guy, right? Um, he does the morning show on CBS and, um, he just finished his book. He hosts the slate political, um, gab fest and he just has a new book called the hardest job in the world, the American presidency. So I'm emailing him tonight to see if he will have, he will come on the podcast. There we um, go. So anybody listening, you know, pray across your fingers. Um, if you don't do any of that stuff and if you're caught in ancient pagan traditions, cut open an owl and put the entrails out. 
whatever you can do for me <laughs> to get John. T- now, but Dickerson's one of the great journalists too. I mean, he's a great, I mean, he's a really great American journalist and, you know, he's covered presidents for like a couple decades. And so, I mean, this is one of the things that I think is it's so interesting to understand this time. And I think one of the things that like COVID has, has pushed it us to is like, man, this is the hardest job in the world, right? Mm. Like figuring this stuff out because you just don't know anything. Like, and, and, and you're working off, you know, and you think of so many, any presidential mistake, any federal government mistake, it, some of it is, is probably just bad judgment, right? But like a lot of it is just like no data. Like or or ambiguous data, and I think we're just in a thing where, like, right now we have ambiguous data about st- about stuff, and we just have to figure out how to live with that. And and I appreciate what you said about Gavin Newsom and praying for our leaders, like, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I think like th- this is an impossible is. situation to navigate, and we have to figure. It, it, and again, the the responsibility has got to also fall to like if we're going to be in a liberal democracy, which we say we are. My liberal, I mean small L, like old school, like enlightenment mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Where where you know it, it functions on the consent of the governed. The governed have to take ownership yes. of uh, of things. We can't just say okay because we don't like we don't work like the politicians work for us. Right, we don't work for them, right? Correct. Like, like, so they're public servants. Like, so we, like, they're we are their employer, and so you can't passively just sit back. And again, this isn't a partisan commentary. Like, I mean, if you think we should slow down an opening or aggressively open, whatever, but we need to like get together as a society. Um, demand that that the media does a better job giving us information so that we can actually consent as yes. the governed uh, yes. and, and and remind the, the politicians that they work their public servants and, and we need and I, I feel like that the the scary thing is defaulting into just tell us what to do yeah yeah no and that and that's because you said the word that everyone avoids is responsibility. Uh, we just a friend of mine recommended it. I'm so glad he did. I watched Molly's Game. I watched it twice over the weekend. Spectacular film, and it parallels with the Crucible, that epic play, and just at the core, at the core, it comes down to responsibility. Because the 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 greatest height of personal growth and personal maturity is the willingness to take responsibility and. Everyone, you know, again, in America has been on this train of just, oh, yeah, you figure it out and let us know. And if we don't like it, we'll just complain, but whatever. It's like, no, it's we have to take responsibility for we the people, right? It's not you, the king. It's we the people. So we the people vote with our dollars. And that's what I love. I don't know if you heard about it, but um, some good news. I forget the actor's name. He plays... uh, um, He's the guy on Amazon for uh, Clancy's movies. Um, he also did Chuck, the TV show back in the day. Um, oh, from The Office. Yeah, from The yes, Office. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. So he did, like, COVID-19 had nothing going on, so he did this thing with his daughters called Some Good News. Have you heard about that? Yeah, I've seen it. It's fantastic. Okay, so he he got, he, again, nothing to do. What can I do? Let me do something. He put on Some Good News, and there was a bidding war between Viacom and CBS for it. So he just sold it for some huge amount of money. So, you know, that's a perfect example of taking responsibility. And again, we vote with our dollars. So if you're tired of bogus news, go watch some good news instead of, you know, well, Fox and CNN's the only thing on. No, it's not. You know, there are other outlets. So the, the simple truth is take some responsibility, vote with your dollars and say, hey, where am I going to get my information from so we can demand, you know, as a voting consensus, hey, we want to go this way. We want common sense. We want this. So yeah, I could I could preach on responsibility all day long, but it comes down to me, you know, my ability to respond and me taking responsibility, starting with my house and my family. And I will leave us with this note that the biggest room in my house, Scott Kitten Jones, is my massive estate here in Southern California. The biggest room in my house is the room for improvement. And so I need to take responsibility and consistently work on that. And again, rather than complain, take responsibility. So I leave it with that.
Evan, it's always a pleasure. Scott Ken Jones, you are tremendous, my friend. As are you. Thank you, my friend. Glorious. God bless everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Learning, Laughing, and Loving with Evan Money and Scott Jones. If you like what you've heard here, please do something for us. Go to iTunes and write a review. Give us a rating. Tell people. Share it on social media. If you found something you love here, share the love and goodness with the world. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, friends, fare thee well.